Fangoria has been at it for over 40 years, and it is better than ever. This gorgeous magazine is highly collectible and delivered right to your door four times a year, each issue filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking past, present, and future with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including... From time to time, your intrepid KingCast hosts. This high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, and you damn well better, you'll need to subscribe. And do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and, well, sign up. KingCast listeners are in the family, so I got a nifty promo code for you. You can save a whopping 25% off your order if you use the code KingCast at checkout. Now, with all of that said, let's get on with the show. Hi, my name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad love, bad love! Sometimes, that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi. And I'm Scott Wampler. And we are your hosts. Today we're being joined by the hosts of the very funny podcast, Ruined, where one of them is a horror fanatic and the other is a bit on the squeamish side. Uh, Between the two, they have dipped their toes into screenwriting, blogging, comedy, podcasting, and even an off-Broadway show called Oh God, a show about abortion. Now they're here to talk a bit about (laughs) Stephen King's Gerald's Game. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome... Allison Leiby and Hallie Kiefer to the KingCast stage. Welcome. Thank you so oh, thank much for you. having us. Yes, thank you. Did I fuck anything up in the, that no. intro? I think no, I got that. You crushed right. it. You fucking yeah. crushed it. Perfect. Look Chilling. at that. So my we're first done, intro. Right? Yeah, that's my first intro back in a while. You've been handling oh. recently, Scott. So I had a little <laughs> I told intro you it's rust. Weird. It's weird when you come back, right? Like, mm. it's, it just doesn't feel for our guests. Um, Vespi and I both just got back from vacation. And Ooh, so I where'd you go? Where'd lie. you go? Uh, mm. I, w- I went back to Austin. I'm currently in Idaho. Um, oh. I, I'm typically in Austin, but I'm spending the summer up here with a friend in, in oh, Idaho. So nice. It sounds like well, heaven. It's, it's very beautiful. Uh, not a lot to do. Yeah, that's the part that sounds so great. Oh, <laughs> I don't yeah, want to do I was, anything. I want to uh, sit on a porch. I want to I look at a tree. That sounds yeah. incredible. Smoke a pipe. Yeah. I'll tell you. Hell yeah. I've been doing a lot of all of those things, and um, <laughs> I only needed about a month. That. That's fair. And, that's, that's and then I was fair. like, oh, I miss my social life and, yes. you know, having, you know, people to hang Other out people. with and shit. Yeah. 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 So. No. So, yeah, yeah, the uh, last few last few intros that I've had to do have been like it, it, like I had never talked before or something. It is weird. It, we had because a we did. We Sorry, we did record while we were on vacation, like little bits here and there. But like, yeah, it is weird to get back into the swing of things. I, I was in New Zealand for a month. So, oh, wow. Uh, oh, wow. You know, s- slightly different. Uh, I was on a really good sleep schedule down there. I think I figured out that I'm just permanently on New Zealand time because mm-hmm. mm. over there I'm, I was waking up at 7, 730 in the morning every morning and I'm not a morning person. I come back here and within a day I'm like back to struggling to get up before noon. So. So uh, I, I'm going to say it's not me being lazy. It is just me permanently being on a New Zealand schedule. Yeah, it's interesting. It's sense. like a little glimpse at like the other you, like the other life yes. you could have had if you happened <laughs> to be from New Zealand. The Kiwi mm. best be. Oh, you don't want that. It'd be too powerful. 
and sounds like a really bad Robert Ludlum novel. Um, <laughs> the Kiwi Bespy. <laughs> Ladies, for anyone who's unfamiliar with your show, Ruined, uh, would one of you like to, um, well, describe it a little bit more than Bespy did or, you know, kind of, you know, sure. I, I think our crowd would like, like what y'all are doing over there. Yeah. Allie, um, why don't you uh, take it away? Absolutely. So this is born out of or just the dynamic of our friendship. Um, and that <laughs> dynamic is uh, I love horror movies. I, I honest to God, at this point, on, pretty much only watch horror movies. Mm. <laughs> I that I, I, I have to I've come to terms with that, but I, it does limit my ability to have conversations with people like I want to see Barbie and Oppenheimer. But other than that, baby, it's it's horror mm. movies all the way down. <laughs> I don't even watch horror TV, honestly. Like I just I, at this point, there's just too much. There's too many horror movies. So uh, as that has been true for a long time, Alice and I became friends um, when we were both doing comedy in New York. I don't really do comedy anymore. I mean, I write comedy, but I don't do stand up. And Alice and I uh, met doing open mics. And one of our mm. dynamics was that Allison cannot watch horror movies at all. At all, she has horrific <laughs> nightmares. And which is, is true, apparently it's true of a lot of people because whenever I talk to people about this podcast, that's the number one thing that comes up is that it, it disrupts their sleep, which is fascinating to me as uh-huh. someone who could watch someone be beheaded and go to sleep and be totally fine about it. For sure. So <laughs> Allison became sort of my repository of all the horror movies because, you know, other people yes. will be like, well, maybe I'll see it one day. Allison yes. was never going to see it. Right. So I could then say, hey, I just lost her. Can I tell you the whole plot? And she'd say, yeah, sure. I don't. I'm never going to see it. Such was born our podcast literally years ago. And um, yeah, every week we ruin or spoil a horror movie in great detail. And I have Allison, based on, again, our years of doing this at this point, <laughs> try to guess what will happen in the movie, sort of make her horror movie predictions based on the formulas that have sort of emerged in the genre. <laughs> no. yeah. And she's gotten really good at it, even though, yes. she, again, she does not watch these movies and cannot watch them. Cannot. But is a uh, a great sounding board for, for the genre in general. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. I was always like a Wikipedia reader. Like I would just get Mm -hmm. like when a big horror movie would come out, I would go to Wikipedia and be like, I need to know what happens in this movie. Like specifically in regards to like, what's the big twist? Like I need to, I just like, I love having information. I'm like a little gossipy bitch. Like I just need to know what's (laughs) happening with everyone all the time. Um, and so like for with for me, I'm like, oh, it does such a service because I'm never going to see these movies. But like when we did hereditary, it's like, everybody was talking about hereditary. It's all right. anybody was talking about in our culture. And it's like, well, I'm never going to watch it. So I kind of don't know what to do here, but like having Hallie explain it and being such a horror lover, like it's done with such um, care that it's really enjoyable. And now I know so many references in Simpsons Treehouse of horror episodes that I've never <laughs> understood that now I'm like, Oh, that's from that movie. So mm. it's really been a, a, a service for me. <laughs> I also have a a deep uh, philosophical feeling about horror in general. I I feel like even if you can't watch them, you need to know the lessons of them. Mm. And uh, I think I talk about this on the podcast all the time. Like horror is a language by which with which we talk about horrifying things, and especially as it relates to the body. And we live in a society in a time where, you know, it just our society is sort of built on body horror. And so Mm -hmm. to me, I think a lot uh, of horror is a genre where you could sort of explore the more disgusting things in a way that at least as of right now, it just feels like a lot of other movies are so hemmed in Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what's able to get made. And I don't know, horror to me is 
the last creative bastion of cinema right now. I don't know. Um, so I don't know. I just feel like you're, you can't watch it. I still want to tell you about it. Yeah. You're, you're not wrong. There's something crazy about horror as a genre in that it is consistent. Like, yes, it, yeah. it's never going to mm-hmm. go the way of the Western, you know, because it's so diverse there, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not just one thing. There's so many branches of horror and unlike pretty much any other genre out there, horror can be made cheaply. It can mm-hmm. be made with no stars. The star is the genre itself. You don't Absolutely. need you know mm-hmm. a Brad Pitt in it, so you don't need a, a fifty million dollar you know minimum budget to make a a decent horror movie. You know it, exactly. It is, yeah, it, it is like uh you know it, it's it's the cockroach of genres. It just will not will not die. I love it. I've never <laughs> really actually. That, that's a question I have. Allison, have you ever had a nightmare just based on the description of a yes. movie? That, really? Which one? I, I'm trying to remember. It's happened a couple of times where, like, <laughs> we've recorded at night. Like, sometimes, you know, sometimes we record in the morning. Sometimes we record something, like, more at night on the East Coast where Hallie's in L.A. I'm in New York. Mm-hmm. And there are just times where it's, like, that's kind of the last thing I was talking about before we, <laughs> I go to sleep. And, like, even if I watch, like couple episodes of 30 rock or veep or something to kind of like mouthwash the horror out of my brain um it's still (laughs) creeped in i have had a few we we just did um both terrifier movies uh featuring Mm -hmm. art the clown who now Uh lives in my nightmares because i had to watch the trailer so i know what Mm. he looks like and um i haven't had like a nightmare nightmare about him but i have been like drifting to sleep and then been like is he in this room? Like it truly, like it truly does like come into my brain where I'm like, is he waiting in the closet to slice me in half from top to bottom? Like, is that what's happening in I my, like, be, I it's could hard. be wrong, but I feel like one of the movies you had a nightmare after might've been the night house. <gasps> the night house. 100%. I had a nightmare after we did the night house. A fucking banger. What a yeah. great movie. David I mean, Bruckner. Haven't seen it obviously, but of course we talked at length uh, to my, dismay about everything that happens but i do i do watch the trailer for every movie just so i have like a sense of kind of like what it looks like who these characters are kind of the vibe and um the second you see that house number that's the same but backwards as her house when she sees the other house i was like i'm out this is not for me i can't do this (laughs) chilling have you all covered a film called possum no. no, I it, it has been recommended to us, and I we do need to do it. And I have heard nothing but horrifying things. Hell, yeah. you haven't seen it yet. I have not. No. Okay, great. It's um, I mean, I'm for anyone who's listening who's unfamiliar. It's a a movie that Matthew Holness made. Matthew Holness, of course, being Garth Marenghi himself. Um, Hell yeah, British British comedian. Um, and it is one of the most skin crawling fucking movies mm. of the past decade. I, I I love it dearly, but it that one's fucked up in a very specific way um, where. Well, in a few different ways, I think it would be very entertaining to hear someone explaining the plot of that movie to mm-hmm. somebody else. Oh, OK, because uh, it would just sound insane. Um, I, I can't so, wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at the description. Fabulous. Some I mean, people you could- recommending that one. You could make a horror movie off of the found footage on TikTok of people making possums into pets. I think that's terrifying. Oh. <laughs> they don't belong what? in your house. There's possums a lot of are people fucking with gross, dude. Have you possums. ever been near a possum? They're so gross. This is weird. Uh, this is coming up because it's actually a possum that lives right behind my apartment. Oh yeah, and I have like they're a all back over door. LA. 
and I keep it I, at night. I could hear it running around, and like mm. when I, you first hear it, because there's sort of like a little grassy little sliver behind me mm-hmm. it sounds like human footsteps oh my god so it sounds like someone is walking up to my window and i looked out and i saw it and it looked at me and i'm like no. i guess it's just gonna be a, a little guy running around back there <laughs> i can't begrudge him that but it was it, it was disgusting i know a woman who has a backyard in brooklyn at her she has like an apartment with a backyard and so there's a door that goes out there and it, they have a dog door in the door like a oh, little no. doggy door because they have an indoor outdoor cat and a possum came inside and was just in their kitchen. And there's photos of it. And it's like one of the most upsetting things ever fucking... come across my phone. <laughs> yeah. When I when I was um uh well back when I was married, my wife and I had a house right outside of Austin. And there were all kinds of woodland creatures out in that area. And uh one day, same kind of thing where we had a backyard and a doggy door, and uh I was in the office working and I heard the the dogs just going ape shit outside. So I was like, um, I better go investigate. And uh, I like walked out to the living room and just kind of opened the blinds. And what I see is this possum perched on the Mm-mm. fence between my, our yard and neighbor's yard. And it was like, however big I tell you this was, it was like, it's, I'm not exaggerating. This thing was gigantic. <laughs> yeah, it was the biggest big. possum I've ever seen in my life. And yeah, it had mm-hmm. like, splotchy hair all over it and it looked mm. like just disgusting They're so and gross. so obviously i was like i need to go outside and get a better photo of this <laughs> you know rather than through the blinds and so i oh like, yeah you gotta and and the thing had its head like hanging down into the opposite yard you know so i could only mm-hmm. see it's like hunched Ugh. kind of grotesque form sort of on the fence and i got about maybe 10 feet away from it and i held up my phone and just as i was about to take a picture its head like whipped up over the edge of the fence and it looked me dead in the eyes and was like, (laughs) no, I fucking courageously ran back into the house and slammed the door uh, and called my wife to find out what to do. Cause I was like, I don't want to deal with this thing. It was all clammy and moist. You made the right choice. You did the right thing, which is run into the house and and leave it, leave that uh, natural abomination alone. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Can't be dealing with that shit. No. (laughs) So, um, well, let's talk about your your Stephen King origin story. Oh yeah, uh, what sure. what level of Allison? I imagine you have much less familiarity with, <laughs> um, with King but stuff, like, but not none. King is like kind of a strange uh, one for me because like I grew up my my mom was a huge fan and we had all of his books um, and I read parts of some of them and then I was like I just don't feel like this is good for me. Um, <laughs> But then I, um, you know, and she always raves about how much she loves his writing and all the movies and they're so scary. And um, when I, I had, I've had a bunch of back surgeries and after one of them, we, I, it's, you're just kind of stuck watching TV for like hours and hours all day. Mm-hmm. You're just, you can't really do much. And so we watched The Shining together, my, me and my mom. And then I had lots of drug nightmares from that. <laughs> I bet but you it's did. An excellent, I appreciate how good of a movie it is, but I was just like, oh, we should have done this one at night. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so I've, you know, it's like, I, I, I know Stephen King's kind of work, um, but haven't seen most of the movies. Right. Um, yeah, mine is, as you can imagine, extensive, um, especially for someone who was a child in the 90s. I feel like um, before I read any of his books, my family my family had a very, um, which I, I don't know how 
parents do it now. I hope it's kind of the same because I, I feel like a lot of my love from horror does come from childhood experiences, which I think is a yeah. good thing personally. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, like the Langoliers, Stephen King's It, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. sort of the two VHS sets um, of the miniseries that you get from the library were sort of my entree to it. And then I think Car- Carrie is still one of my top 10 favorite books. Carrie was the first mm. book I read. Oh, wow. I read it when I was like 11 or 10 or 11 because I uh, was also read very early, like I, I was just as soon as you start, you kind of keep going, you know, and yeah. like, at a certain point. And also it was like it was the 90s. Steam King was everywhere. The yeah. man's prolific, you know, so there's a lot to get through. I fucking love Carrie. I didn't see the movie until high school, but I loved the book. I definitely remember reading like some of the books too early like i remember trying to read gerald's game and the dead zone when i was in fifth Oof. grade and i was like you know what this but even even i was like and i, 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 I read the dead zone my, uh yeah i mean there's a the horrible there's like a the safety pin scene still like haunts me yeah but right. like yeah conveniently like left out of the movie you coward david cronenberg um listen yeah when they the remake uh i'm sure it'll be featured but much much <laughs> like the, you know the end of uh stephen king's it where it's like yeah you're not gonna see a child orgy um thanks <laughs> for putting it in though stephen but i think there was like um my parents had which again i think is a very 90s thing it'd be interesting to hear what parents are doing now where it's like if it's from the library you're allowed to get it so it's like yeah. you you have to decide what you can read, and I do think it was helpful because I definitely remember reading like Dead Zone. I was like, I'm not going to finish this book. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. later, but I'm ten, so I'm not going to do that. And then after that, I mean, fuck the stand. Like, I mm-hmm. those are family movies, and so they're now those are like family references. So it's like B is for bum, Craig from the Langoliers. You know, like you're not running your scampering. Like my childhood, my family language is based in part on Stephen King's uh, properties. Um, I so I don't know. A huge fan, and also you got to get kids reading. So for you know some kids, yeah. hey, maybe get them a book about baseball. For me, it's like I do want to know about horror. I know I want right. to about horrible things, and this was the. I mean, the, he was the '90s. You know, like this. What he was. Ev- unavoidable and everywhere i i read dean coons i you know i read the other sort of um yeah. authors recorded at the same time yeah, yeah huge stephen king fan fan then huge stephen king fan now <laughs> yeah well I'm, it makes me wonder how much of your both of your personalities kind of lead you to who you are today like do you think that mm-hmm. because you were seeking out horror and you were fascinated by it that that's just how you're built as a person or did you build up horror calluses? Like we, that's something we've talked about a bit on the show is, is this once you've seen Mm -hmm. and immerse yourself in horror, like suddenly like there's very few things that scare Scott and I, Mm -hmm. when we uh, like visit a horror movie or watch a a new horror movie, we can be startled or we could be creeped out by, um, you know, ideas or tones or something, but it's not, we don't have that, that visceral, right yeah we don't get nightmares i guess is where i'm going with this you know do you think that uh it would be possible for for allison to build up horror calluses or is just you know i don't yeah i don't think so i genuinely i mean who knows like the self or or, yeah it's hard to like say but i definitely feel like even from a young age like i remember being in kindergarten and getting one like scary stories to tell the dark right or you know like Mm -hmm. scary fairy tales and i was terrified but i enjoyed the terror of it like it was like thrilling I always compare it to I hate roller coasters. Like I cannot be, I don't want to be mm-hmm. physically terrified. Nope. But for some <laughs> people, I completely understand that, that that's the thrill of it. Like to feel right. out of control or feel like there's some sort of danger. And I think for me, that was always, there was always pleasure in it. 
in some ways, I, I feel like Allison couldn't, and also I don't want her to. Like what? Like right? Yeah, to- <laughs> it would ruin your show. I, I get it would that. Really ruin but- everything. Oh, no. We've got going professionally together, but like I bet more I, like it's gonna ruin your brain because we'd have to yeah. do like Clockwork Orange style where we like have your eyes pulled <laughs> open. Like what would have to happen for that for you to become that person is that's that's a fucking horror movie right there. I think also like I don't know some I don't think these things are connected, but like I like I mentioned earlier, like I've had a bunch of back surgeries. I had a spinal fusion a couple years ago. Like I like medically my life is like. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go in for, like, another surgery. Like, do you want to see where they do the shots? It's crazy. And, like, people are like, oh, my God, everything about that is awful mm-hmm. and scary. And I'm like, oh, it's, like, no big deal. Um, right. I think, like, one thing that will help me, like, get through something scary, because I did a lot of reading of, like, scary stories to tell in the dark and kind of other stuff like that as a kid. Like, kid – like, I loved Goosebumps as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if, like – the there's something to kind of figure out like, wait, what is controlling this hand or like what it, you know, if there is like a real mystery with like a twist or a solution, I can focus on that a little bit more. But like some of the movies that are just like dread and grotesque body horror from time, I'm just like, Oh, that's never ever. I'm never going to be able to do to watch that. Right. Yeah. Like you could watch a thriller. I feel like like you're someone who like a murder mystery. You could do, it is like the when you are put into the protagonist experience when you you have the the night house moment of like looking outside and seeing your your dead husband you know like that is to, the visceral horror is it, it kind of I overwhelms you yes. and I think a lot of people are like that and again that uh, is what makes these movies great yes uh, well and that's a fascinating you bring that up because the title that you've chosen mm. uh, as a group is very much a thriller where you're kind of in the mind of a person as they're trying to figure out a way out of a, a li- life or death situation mm-hmm. but then there's also body horror uh, attached to it <laughs> absolutely so, yeah so you kind of got a little <laughs> best of both worlds in there yeah this is something title. for everybody in this one <laughs> Yeah. I also want to say that when you guys mentioned having horror calluses, because I absolutely do know what you're talking about, I like to think of it is like when you go from drinking um, Trader Joe's wine to drinking better wine, is that you develop a palate. So then when something surprising does happen or something unique happens, you get to appreciate it in a different way rather th- compared to those who are, I don't know, still drinking two buck chuck. You know, that's just my opinion. Right. <laughs> That is a fancier, nicer version of, of horror calluses. <laughs> I will say, but yeah, uh, your your chosen title is Gerald's Game. Uh, would I guess this would be on you, Hallie? Do you would you care to walk the listener in and kind of catch them up, maybe refresh their memory <laughs> on what Gerald's Game is about? Absolutely, and I just want to say I have the Wikipedia up, and at the top it says not to be mistaken with Jerry's game, which is Jerry with an I, which I'm like I would not have mistaken it because I've never heard of this. You click it, it's a 1997 Pixar short mm-hmm. about an elderly man named Gary who completes he competes against himself in a game of chess. Yeah, and so it's like, well, okay, yeah, Wait, I guess that's what that's not what we're talking about today oh i'm so sorry this is i've watched it's, the I wrong fucking kind thing. of a i guess it's kind of like a game of chess uh, in, in, in a way and and it and, uh jerry's game does uh end with body horror uh, as well exactly so. yes his hand is degloved at the end it looks like uh, wow. <laughs> that's how he wins baby that's how you can win a chess um, so should I uh, describe like the whole plot or just sort of start then we'll talk or how, uh, how what is the best way in your guys mind like a capsule 
synopsis, okay. basically. So yeah. basically, we have a, a couple, uh, Jesse and Gerald. They are, they've been clearly married for a long time. Things like maybe things are kind of on the outs. There's a lot in their relationship. But they're, again, they're trying to go away for the weekend to reconnect. Um, this, of course, doesn't happen. Instead, what happens is Gerald's game, which having read the book, um, I mean, it's been a long time, but basically Gerald uh, handcuffs Jesse to the headboard and initiates this rape fantasy. And at first she's sort of like, oh, I guess we could sort of do this. She clearly has no interest and finally says, stop. Uh, and in the book, I think, uh, you know, Stephen King does a great job of sort of like, in that moment, her realizing that her husband was going to rape her. And so even if he were to afterwards apologize or even if things were fine after whatever, this was the end of their marriage. And I right. think yeah. this is like that's what we're set up is like he is going right. to violate her as, as sort of revenge. And also like this is just sort of unfortunately the underlying dynamic of their marriage is that he is in control and now he, he's, he's like literalizing it. So uh, after arguing her again, her still handcuffed, she kicks him. And he falls off the bed and has a heart attack and dies, leaving her <laughs> handcuffed, trapped in the middle of fucking nowhere at a gorgeous cabin near a lake. But there is nobody else there. So then the rest of the film mm -hmm. is basically her psychologically grappling with herself, which in the film, um, Jesse is played by Carla Gugino. Incredible. So good in this movie. She's phenomenal. And she's having a conversation with not just herself, but also as a, 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 a sort of like a... Um, not a ghost, but it's sort of a double. And then also uh, a, a double of Gerald, who in reality is dead, but she's sort of arguing with him and is arguing about their marriage and, uh, and about how to get out of her situation, but is dancing around sort of like the original trauma that, that Jesse received as a kid, which is why she ended up in this terrible marriage to this incredibly cruel man. And that is, of course, being molested by her father when she was 12. And I think this movie does, it, to me, this is like a great like well done rumination on like how trauma does stay with you and how this kind of stuff happens all the time and people end up in these mm -hmm. marriages and don't deal with like to because to deal with um you know being molested or abused as a child is to especially by a family member or someone close to the family is so traumatic that it is the human mind sort of boxes it away and it's only because she's here that she's sort of forced to deal with it um and in the end in order to escape um and again she's constantly there's also um a, a figure that is appearing to her that um the moonlight man and she's unclear am i hallucinating because i've been trapped for a couple of days um in in this bed terrified dehydrated tired while re while revisiting my molestation by my father or is this a real guy who keeps coming in the house <laughs> and sort of standing around watching me um, and eventually she is able to escape later. This, uh, man made of moonlight is apprehended. It turns out it was a serial, a real serial killer. Now, fortunately, the movie makes it clear that he is a gay serial killer. So I guess we're going to think like, phew, you know what I mean? For, for Jesse, I honestly, you're like, wow, it really dodged a bullet. I suppose this guy just wanted to steal your jewelry. And, uh, she sort of goes to court to see him and sort of confirm to her herself that he is real he turns and he recognizes her and he repeats back the line that he she said to him sort of in her half living you know sort of uh fugue state um you're only made of moonlight um yeah. and oh also the only way, reason that jesse's able to eventually escape is unfortunately she has to um deglove her own hand and essentially pull all the skin off her hand to pull it through the handcuff. Mm. Yeah. 
barely surviving, <laughs> but eventually sort of triumphs. And then in the end, sort of the idea that like she has emerged victorious from this harrowing situation and is able to, uh, you know, walk into the sunlight, literally a normal sun versus the red sun that keeps appearing throughout the movie and sort of healing, healing from both her marriage, healing from her uh, being abused by her father. And again, the most healing thing of all, knowing you weren't killed by a serial killer. So, yeah. you know, something for all of us to enjoy. I, I really love this movie. I think it's like it's Mike Flanagan as the uh, director written by Mike Flanagan and Jeff Howard. I think it's an incredibly well done interpretation of what is a very difficult movie to shoot. Right. Oh, it would yeah. be my first thing to say about it. Yeah, that that's it's, something that we always we always bring up on the show. It's like it's kind of the like I I like a lot of Mike's movies like a lot. Like I and but this is Gerald's game is the one where it's just like this is a guy who not only can make uh, a good TV series or a good movie, mm-hmm. he can take something that is borderline unfilmable on the page and figure out a way to bring that into a visual medium like it's like oh this is where he takes that step up from the normal you know average good filmmaker right mm-hmm. the, the, that's the movie at least for me where where he kind of turned my head you know and went from that guy who made some movies i like to like oh shit i gotta watch what this guy does mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and and he did it twice you know yeah. uh he he also adapted uh King's Doctor Sleep, The Shining sequel, which yes, yes. was a book that I couldn't even, I got like 100 pages into that book and was just like, I don't, you know, I don't think this one is for me. Um, mm-hmm. did, it, it was, <clears throat> I'd be curious to go back and read it now and after because I really liked the uh, the film version, particularly the director's cut, but yeah, you know, it was like when he pulled off Gerald's game, you know, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this, this guy's yeah. a madman. You know, he fucking really took a swing at this thing and miraculously connected as far as I was concerned. And then when I heard Absolutely. he was doing Dr. Sleep, I was like, you are tempting fate, my man. <laughs> you're going to you're going to go for two of these that are, you know, kind of unadaptable. Um, but he made Dr. Sleep work. So he's he's got an unbroken track record in that regard. I think he's. Uh, oh, yeah. He's up there in the upper echelon of King adapters with like Rob Reiner and. Mm hmm. You know, Frank Darabont, shit like that. And I I think especially like we are living in a time where unfortunately in every genre, like you are supposed to use, um, you're beholden to IP a lot of the time. And I think Mm -hmm. we've seen like sequels or reboots where like it just wasn't cutting it. And I think, you know, it's a testament to him that he's able to take this existing, not not, not that Gerald gave the most beloved Stephen King book, but like take something that is pre-existing IP and actually making an excellent film out of it, which is... Uh, a, a very difficult needle to thread and something that apparently is being asked of every director in every genre. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, not to be like, oh, the direct, poor directors, but I, you know, you do like to see, it's like, if this is, if this is what is being asked and this is what was getting funded, then he's not going to get out, knocking it out of the park, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, Allison, you haven't seen, seen the, the movie or read the book, I assume. Yeah. No. No, but we we covered and I watched the trailer when we um, mm. for every episode that we do. Just so it's like you know you need like a a visual of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So right. I've seen the trailer for this, and then obviously we talked about it like at length. Uh, but no, <laughs> I have not seen it. I do not want to see it. I have not read it. <laughs> I do not plan on reading it. <laughs> it sounds so good, but not for me. <laughs> mm. Do you, how would how would either of y'all fare? Were mm. you to find yourselves? In oh, Jesse Berlin Games oh, situation. Dead. A thousand we percent dead. Just dead. We're like, often just discuss dead. 
like what would you know you know what would you do in some of these scenarios and i almost always i'm like i think i would just try and find a way to kill myself as quickly as possible because <laughs> yes. there's no way i'm gonna survive so let's we just refer get to this it. over with we refer to that on our podcast as the Allison special. Yes. And I occasionally have to create rules around when you're allowed to use the Allison special because it can't be every episode. You cannot say, oh, I know it. Don't worry. I know what I would do. I would kill myself. I would die. Um, I think I think I would go. I'd probably, uh, I, I'll be honest. I, I don't think I have the wherewithal. I don't Mm-mm. think I have the grit nor the gumption. No. I, I think they'd find me there. Uh, the dog would have eaten me for the sure. Dog. Yeah. Mm. Whatever the next, because basically they imply like, oh no, it's going to be at least a week until somebody shows up. You know, whether it's right. the gardener, right. the housekeeper, and also like as the days go on, she's dehydrated, she's been screaming, so she loses her voice. So even if there were happened to be someone going by in a car or whatever, this is not a scenario in which there's going to be intervention. The only people who show up are, of course, a dog can't access the keys doesn't have opposable thumbs and right. again the moonlight man who is as far as we know a gay necrophilic grave robbing <laughs> jewelry obsessed serial killer and mm-hmm. luckily it wasn't worse and but again he's not helping her get out of there you know he does he he has his own ideas about why he's there um, yeah, his own agenda yeah he's got his agenda and he <laughs> does need jewelry to uh, achieve it so <laughs> I don't. Th- I don't think I could. I don't think I could like deglove my hand. I just no, don't. No. I think I no. would. I would think I would go stark raving mad in that position. You know, chained up long yeah. before I would work up the nerve to. And frankly, I'm a stupid man. I probably yeah. wouldn't even oh. have figured out how to get the no. the shard of glass. I wouldn't have known that that was even a way to do so. Like, it, like it wouldn't have ever crossed my mind to do that. Let alone then to figure out how. You know, right. and, and the the implication in the film, it, it, which is I think <clears throat> subtly done, it's not doesn't be over the head. Is like, oh, part of the reason she had to remember this experience with her father was because mm-hmm. afterwards, like obviously all the trauma that then led to her life decisions and like this her marriage, um, that she afterwards at dinner broke a glass in her hand, mm-hmm. and sort of like the memory of that was bottled up with was packaged with the molestation so she couldn't remember and then it was like the moment she realizes oh i can uh, cut my hand like i did like my hand was cut on that day that leads her to then be like oh, okay i have access to a glass i can deglove my hand again i don't i wouldn't have gotten there and that's no. a to z she's <laughs> there's a reason she's the protagonist they, they would just find me there i would will myself to die at a certain point yes. i would be like i'm just gonna shut my eyes and try to see if i can mentally um just pass away if i could well, i Wiggling forget your toes it, at the dog and shit <laughs> i yeah, forget calling it for the dog covered but like the first time i have to go to the bathroom that's oh. when i'm ready to kill myself <laughs> <laughs> like i'm chained up here and like i have to pee like this mm-hmm. is over i can't do this <laughs> and we do talk about that that is one of our mutual gripes about horror movies yes. i we do need to see people go to the bathroom i'm sorry we right. do need to see it because that would be part of the well now that we, we don't just see it but we i'm saying like see it, see we have to it, acknowledge but... like that would be part of the humiliation part of like oh no like what's the first time you have to shit yourself while chained to a bed like then it's like oh so this is really happening like yeah. i can't pretend this, <laughs> yes. isn't, this isn't what it's it a is. new level of torture yeah. yeah, and and I, so there is something about to me adding that because the movies that I find scariest are the more, most realistic ones, and I think adding those kinds of visceral bodily mm-hmm. elements that's like terrifier. Like say we will about the plot, like the idea of like oh yeah, you are full of meat and blood, and a clown could absolutely open that shit up. That's true, <laughs> and we just live in a world hoping that art the clown yeah. doesn't fucking 
come into our backyard. Oh, it's not a possum. It's Arthur the Clown one night. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you just hope it's not him. That's right, Rob. It is time for the mid-roll ad read. We've got two sponsors on today's show for you. I'm going to take one of them. Bessie's going to take the other. Uh, let's start it with mine. The Handyman Method by Nick Cutter and Andrew F. Sullivan is on sale now. When a young family moves into an unfinished development community, cracks begin to emerge in both their new residence and their lives as a mysterious online DIY instructor delivers dark subliminal suggestions about how to handle any problem around the house. The trials of home improvement, destructive insecurities, and haunted house horror all collide in this thrilling story, perfect for fans of Nick Cutter's bestsellers, The Troop and The Deep. For fans of Black Mirror and the Amityville Horror, this is a chilling story of domestic terror. Richard Chismar, best-selling author of Chasing the Boogeyman, says the handyman method is, quote, nightmare territory. Cutter and Sullivan have delivered a modern masterpiece. The Handyman Method by Nick Cutter and Andrew F. Sullivan is available now wherever books are sold. Go buy it! Well done, and I like the emphatic, you know, call to action there at the end. You yes, do. they love a call to action with the ad reads. They the, do. The, the companies love it. We should start a podcast just called Call to Action, and uh, we will get we will get all this. Oh it'll God. be nothing but ad reads all the entire show. That's actually a pretty genius idea. Nobody steal yeah. that. We're going to do that someday. Uh, but what I'm here to tell you about the action I'm here to call you to is a new cosmic horror film called The Empty Space. It is now premiering on streaming. It's a new film from Andrew Jara. The Empty Space tells the story of Amy Andrews, a woman dealing with grief and anxiety after the death of her boyfriend. When that boyfriend comes back, <laughs> never a good sign. Uh, Amy will have to decide whether or not the, it is a miracle that occurred or something far more sinister that can cost her her sanity and maybe even her entire existence. The Empty Space won numerous awards, including Best of the Fest at the Sacramento Horror Film Festival, and has been praised by critics for its realistic, frightening depiction of mental illness that Andrew Jara drew from his own experiences. The Empty Space was released by Bayview Entertainment to rent or buy, uh, but if you missed that, it is now streaming on services such as Tubi, so go watch that film on Tubi or wherever you can find it streaming, and pick up Simon & Schuster's The Handyman Method. There you go, two calls to actions. Boom. Many calls to actions. So many action calls on, on this mid-roll. <sighs> All right, let's get back to the show, folks. Let me ask you a question about the Terrifier movies. Mm -hmm. Do you find them scary? No. I find them I gross, just, but I yeah. don't find them scary. Do you like them? You know, again, I think it's because I just, I said this when we recorded the first Terrifier. I just saw the trailer for the movie Strays. Have you seen this uh, this trailer? Oh, yeah. The talking dog movie. Yeah. Yeah. I saw yeah. that and I was so filled with rage. And what yeah. a fucking horrible <laughs> movie that looks like to me where it's like the whole point is these dogs are going to come. Like one dog gets abandoned. So all the dogs are going to go bite his um, owner's penis off. And I was like, I was so mad that Hollywood was making this. It made me like Terrifier more. Because I was like, well, at least I respect what is happening here. And I see it's maybe not for me. I don't think it's my particular subgenre. But I appreciated it for what it was. If the alternative is this kind of fucking, you know, forgive the pun, dog shit, then I will take Terrify over that 100 times over. But but the question wasn't if you had to watch Terrify or Strays. It's just do you like those movies? 
I will see a third one. I don't even know if that, that's probably not an answer either, but do I like them? I guess I, I don't think about horror like that. Maybe you're saying, like, that's the callus. I'm like, I don't ask myself whether I like them anymore, right. honestly. Oh, well, see, right. see I, 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 like you, I watch a lot of horror. Like, it's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm working during the day, whether I'm writing or, you know, we're doing show prep or whatever. I always have a TV on and I'll just, I'll throw on whatever trash horror movie is available on streaming. I've seen so many shitty horror movies and when i say scene i mean i've had them on in the background i look up when something interesting happens absolutely Um, but a lot of them are just you know interchangeable and and bad um i can recognize a horror movie i like versus one i do not i'm not really into the terrifier movies because they like i appreciate the idea of yeah this is just a movie about a murder clown yeah and he is gonna Mm -hmm. do his murders in the most elaborate possible ways Mm -hmm. and that's the whole bit like it's just yeah. cartoonish violence. Uh, you haven't seen two yet? No, we did. Yeah, we did uh, two oh, okay. yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, and the, there, and I, yeah, I, I this, do. Well, think... the scene in two where like he's like disassembling the lady, and it goes on for like I don't know, like six minutes, five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, hmm. I don't know. I'm just like I. No, no, you're challenging me. I'm, I'm not, really trying to I'm think. Not getting do anything I out of like this. it? Yeah. <laughs> like I, res- I appreciate the. Um, the the that there is a void out there that needs mm. to be filled by a thing like terrifier there are right. people like horror movies for all kinds of reasons um that what what terror the terrifier movies do is not necessarily what i'm looking for in a horror movie but i appreciate i, I respect that it's that. out there you know yeah and i guess that's that's where i'm coming to it's like it is not my cup of tea but i appreciate that it's on the menu sure. i'd rather it be on the menu than not yes. i guess okay yeah. Right. Plus, it we- keeps the people that like that sort of thing occupied and not talking. <laughs> yeah, you gotta be because you're getting all sorts of ideas. You know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I think it's a good, you know, litmus test for me to be like, oh, did you like the Terrifier movies? And then that's I, I know a lot about that person from one taste <laughs> yeah, test. <right>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I know anyone that's that's big into those movies, but also yeah. like, I, I don't think I would. You know. Right. Yeah, anyway. I definitely I feel like if I was 17 or something, it would be one of my favorite movies. I feel like I would have loved yeah. just the shocking part, like the shock factor. Sure. Um again, having seen way more horror movies now, I agree it it kind of doesn't it doesn't hit as hard versus something you see with your friends at like someone's house like, "Whoa, could you believe this?" Then I think it would have been like yeah. a seminal a moment that really stuck with stuck with me. Right. It would have been your like my version of that was like Slumber Party Massacre, where you're or Sleepaway sure. Camp, where you're watching yeah. that and you're like, can you fucking believe what we what we just saw there? Like Hell that's yeah. just so like not what what these movies typically are or whatever, you know. Um, but uh, but I have a question to get us back to Gerald's game. I have a question for Allison, and that is, how did your prediction of how this thing would turn out go? Were you able to kind of figure this one out and crack this one, or? Because this this isn't the most standard A to B to C. No, plot, it's so. it's not. And like I remember, I don't remember exactly what I guessed when we did that. We I think we did this movie like a while ago. At this not right. a while ago, but I don't quite remember. Um, I remember thinking like that the husband would be more involved and not just like mm-hmm. drop dead from a heart attack, which I think <laughs> is like a pretty shocking. Like he is an a asshole. Like you do want like you don't want him to win, but like I thought it would be more like he leaves her there. Right. Mm-hmm. That it, that it's more like about like he's intending to 
kind of kill or torture her in that way. The fact that he randomly dies is actually <laughs> like so much scarier because that mm-hmm. could have like exactly yeah. people drop dead all the time. Like he's not some diabolical, um, like evil, uh, like Hitchcock he's no villain. Yeah, he's yeah. not yeah. coming back. But he's like, <laughs> yeah. it's just like he's just kind of a piece of shit who then like dies at a pretty inopportune time for her. And I think like that really like that to me was like scarier than what I was imagining because it's right. Like, oh God, that I guess I mean. Yeah, <laughs> now you're I stuck, mean, lady. <laughs> because you're, it's like, what if uh, you know? You think of you hear these stories from time to time of like the the mom driving the car, the dad driving the car with the family has a right. seizure or has a heart attack or right. you know passes out or something, and then the whole car crashes and everybody dies, and just like that shit can happen. <laughs> like, yeah, our human bodies are are weird and fail at weird yeah, they times. Fail all so, the time. and then yeah. when They're, the yeah. I keep wanting to call him the Midnight Man, but the, when the Moonlight, the Moonlight Man, Man starts showing <laughs> up. I think the fact that he never does anything to her yes. is so scary. <laughs> yes. He just watches like and waiting. grins, right? Yeah. I was waiting for him to kind of be a little more active, but he's just kind of hanging around in a way that is terrifying. Yeah, Blair witching is... it over in the corner, just <laughs> yeah, having right. a little peek. And there is something interesting, and I, I do bring this up every time we do any podcast, but it, it remains a, a focal point of my life, which is I came out um, last June, um, and there's something about the what feels i don't know if this is what stephen king was going for but there's something about a gay necrophilic serial killer somehow being the benevolent force in a in a <laughs> story that kind of is about like um not like heterosexuality but like the idea of like the men in this woman's life being so predatory mm-hmm. and being right. like the reason like she has to overcome them and then it's just like oh well thank god the serial killer is a gay guy is very fucking funny to me and I don't know. I don't know what the intent was, or whether it's just like, oh, well, I have to explain why he wouldn't have killed her. But there's something about it watching that, or thinking about it now that I don't know. It kind of tickles me, I suppose. <laughs> was he gay in the book? Um, you know, let me look it up because uh, I, I oh, think ahead, I think so because I think that there was like mention. It, it's not like there's a he- newspaper headline saying gay serial killer, or whatever. But it's like he he only ate like he had sex with the bodies that he would be. Uh, digging up but he would only have sex with the the male body so yes i believe that that's uh that that's from the book and that wasn't a flanagan add-on yeah that, it looks like i believe you're right the i'll be honest the the book wikipedia isn't quite as clear on that <laughs> no <laughs> that, that's my memory that, um, of it but it's been, been, it's been a since i've read it the moonlight man is is a flanagan thing though right because in right. the book he's called the space cowboy right which oh. is like one of those stephen king sort of yes it's a terminology where it's like this works on the page, but maybe we start having people say it. It's going to sound very silly. Yeah, you're absolutely. Kind of classic rock, and and you know, <laughs> you go, oh, space cowboy. I'm going to throw that in my book. Yeah, and that space. is what I think. Sort of why Stephen King is so iconic and pleasurable, and it, I don't know, it makes me think of like again, like horror movies, recent horror movies that have to be so beholden to IP versus a writer or a director's vision is that kind of dumb weird stuff just makes the movie it makes the book you know mm-hmm. like not mm-hmm. that, that I, I think the moonlight man it's much better of a name but it's like in every stephen king mo- book there are those moments where it's like yeah that's a stephen king moment right there and and yeah i don't know like to, to have flavor to something even if it's not like every decision is like the most compelling decision yeah you just don't don't want to lose that i guess right he had a few years there where he kept writing out booyah in his books 
That's so funny. Someone, someone said booyah to King somewhere in the mid 90s, and it just yeah, rattled around yeah. in his head for about a decade and a half. It's good that he didn't get that when he was writing The Shine. I feel like all work and no play makes Jack booyah. <laughs> oh my God. Now, uh, you you brought up the. We keep focusing on, on the Moonlight Man on this, but uh, honestly, that's one of my favorite things about um, the way. Uh, Flanagan adapted this was I loved that moment where she faces him in the courtroom um, and realizes that he isn't this giant, huge, imposing figure, but he's kind of this scrawny, you know, she had built him up in his mind because it's the perfect visual representation of her trauma. It's not that Mm -hmm. it's, you know, he he's not bad and evil and, and destructive. But, you know, you build that stuff up so much mentally that, you know, the Moonlight Man got to be the the visualization of trauma. And like if you if you can face it and, you know, accept it and work through it, then it's not the mountain that you had built up. It isn't this imposing Promethean figure, you know, it, it's this it's just kind of the sad little guy, you know, in, in shackles, you know. Yeah, because um, doesn't she? What does she say back to him? She's like, "Oh, I thought you were much bigger, or something." Yeah. Or like, "Oh, I, I." Because then, of course, you see, like, literally, you know, in case we didn't get it, but again, I think even this was like, this isn't a subtle touch, but it's effective. It's like she sees the Moonlight Man, then she sees her father, then she sees her husband. Like, right. we're, you know, she we're understanding that this is she's passing through this gauntlet and surviving it. Yeah. And, but I also think it is like this kind of stuff does happen all the time where it's like, you know, you were abused as a kid or something happens as a kid. And then you do end up in these long-term relationships that are horrible, but it, you know, it's sort of like, it's tough to, I don't know. Society sort of like is built around the idea that like, Oh, well just, just deal with it. Just get over it. It's like, well, don't we know by now that nobody in society is getting over anything ever. <laughs> and like never. the only way to deal with this is like to have conversation. Like she had to go back in her mind, obviously to deal with it. But I don't know, boy, it's like, you understand why somebody wouldn't unless they were put in this kind of situation. Right. And I don't get the impression that like, Oh cool. I am now free from all my trauma. Mm-hmm. At the end. Like, but she's, She's in a better spot, you know, this in a weird way, this this whole excursion was was uh, like some shock therapy for for this character, which which I guess you could, you know, say is problematic as an idea. But I I think it's very effective and I I buy it Mm -hmm. when I read the book or when I watch the movie, I buy it as like like it's not a good thing that this happened to her, but she's able to make something good out of it. You know, I agree. Yeah. And we see her at the end, like she starts like, or she's working out or she starts a nonprofit with Gerald's, um, the money, you know, that she inherits as his wife to, and then she's talking about her own experience being abused. And I think like, uh, I don't know, I guess it goes back to the whole final girls thing, which I feel like as a woman, I want to see a woman overcome. I like it, especially right now it's effective to me. And also like, it's one thing to be like, you shouldn't see a woman tortured. Absolutely. But uh, the larger issue is like, why is that kind of thing happening? You know, so it's like, this is a movie about those kinds of things. It's like, why would you end up in this relationship with this man? Oh, because of what happened to you as a kid and you had no support and your mother there. Cause there's this moment where she breaks the glass where she looks at her mother and it's sort of like, if anything was ever going to be communicated, it was that moment. And then it wasn't like her mother didn't say anything and she turns away and that's it. Like our understanding is right. that moment. And then she was set on a course to marry an abusive man that I, that happens all the time, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's something that King does a lot in his books. That's Beverly Marsh. You know, it, it's oh, not, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that there's like an undercurrent of, of sexual abuse going on with Beverly Marsh and it, but it's, it's more, it's, it's, 
creepy and physical abusive like right. more than anything there there's definitely hints that you know now that she's becoming a you know a woman that her father's showing interest in her and and all all this stuff but you know but she has the same thing where she goes on and, and marries her father but mm-hmm. you know king to his credit doesn't just do that with with his female characters because he also had had like Eddie Kasprak, you know, marry his mother, essentially, you know, Absolutely, so, yeah. so it's a, because it, you know, it's a real thing. It, it does happen. Absolutely. You see, you, you see it happen. I've seen it happen in, in my little circle of friends. It's just like, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, you know, you went from one relationship that was bad to another relationship that was bad. Like mm-hmm. you, you either have a type or you're the most unlucky person I've ever seen. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like now there's way more conversation about that, but I can imagine like, you know, when he wrote this or whatever, it's like, no one was talking like, yeah. I don't know. Like there, it just was not that conversation of like, oh yeah, what happens behind a closed door in your, in your relationship? And right. I think as women, especially uh, you know back then, I do think you were kind of just. It's like, oh yeah, everyone's yep. marriage is bad, or like, oh, well, of course you're miserable. Everybody's miserable, or <laughs> I don't know. This expectation of misery then sets you up for I don't know. Like it just sort of like yeah, sure, it's not good, but like, what whose whose marriage is good, or like whose childhood was good, and it, it there's no space to then be like. Well, but it could be good. Or like, what, what would right. ha- what would you have to? What journey would you have to take into yourself to have something different? You know, and that's I think a compelling. You know, that's like again, like horror. We're using horror to explore horrifying things. These things happen all the time. Yeah. And it's also just building off what you're saying. It's also interesting to note that this is you know, kind of one half of a story that is completed with Dolores Claiborne, or yeah. the other mm-hmm. way around. You know. Have you have you um, have you seen uh, Dolores Claiborne? I have seen it. I'll be honest; it's been a while, but I have seen it, and we have not done it for the. No, we haven't done it. It's not. I I think I may have seen it in the nineties. Okay. I mean, I definitely remember it come like the movie coming out in the (laughs) nineties. Yeah, Hmm. it's it's pretty much you know it's a drama. There are like um, intense elements to it because you know there's an abusive husband and you know there's a. A murder, a murder to be solved and, right. and what have you. But it's, uh, I wouldn't, I don't know. It's There's it's nothing more, supernatural. There's yeah. nothing, yeah. Like, okay. there's not an evil clown that's <laughs> making everything happen. Yeah. Right. There is and, a, um, yeah, if have, you haven't, if you haven't seen that, I, I, I think you'd be fine with it. Um, yeah. And well, also, we talk a lot about the line between horror and thriller and how blurry that is because like i'm a huge fan of silence of the lambs i think it's an excellent film i've seen it a million times and everybody's like that's a horror movie and i'm like yeah no that's a thriller like they're it like mm. i you know we that, i agree i think it's a i think it's a thriller yeah and to me i would argue it's a thriller because uh, Clarice is a protagonist and the only time she is literally in danger is at the end which I think is a those are mm-hmm. horror that's a horror Scary. sequence but the rest of it is her solving a crime which is compelling and interesting and like yes. then you also get to see these like interesting moments like it's beautifully like explores being a woman in a male dominated workplace like right. but that's not a horror movie like she right. is uh, removed <laughs> from the horror yeah and exactly. we see those horror elements but we're we're experiencing it through her experience so i do think i would consider it a thriller as well see i get a little defensive when this when the especially silence of the lambs comes up uh, as as a topic because what it always seems to me like the argument is it can't be a horror movie because it's actually dealing with serious and good things it's because it's good 
you know, and so like I I always bristle a little bit at, at the no, it's a thriller, not a horror movie. Although oh, I don't, oh, I, don't, I definitely don't think it's a quality issue. I think it's yeah. how it's right. how it's shot, like how we're experiencing it through the protagonist and the protagonist not being the victim, like that her not being in right. the moments of specific horror. I think it's a fucking one of my probably my number one favorite movie. I think it's Dynamite, it's so but to right. me, it's it is like a psychological exploration of this woman solving or going up against you know this incredibly intelligent gay man even though they, i know <laughs> in the franchise they're like they end up together or they try to like hell no yeah. that is a lesbian no, and gay no. man grow up <laughs> um, <laughs> you know but i but I, I definitely hear what you're saying because I, I agree like yeah. also the idea of like elevated horror or whatever it's like I, that's not like that is a different conversation altogether for yeah. sure yeah i mean the the movie the movie has a dude you know flaying a, an officer uh, you know and displaying him and then wearing the other dude's face it's like yes. you know there, this isn't it's not like oh, it's a little suspense. It's a it's a little Hitchcockian suspense. It's like no, this is it's, it's straight up horror. What Buffalo Bill's doing, but you know, you do have a point on where the point of focus is and how that changes things. Because if it was just on following Buffalo Bill as he was, you know, building his suit, then then you would be okay. That's a little bit more like maniac. That's a little bit more of oh, the traditional if, horror. If we wake up series. and we're we're Catherine, what's her last name? We're in the pit. We're in the right, well right. the whole time. That's a fucking That's horror, a horror movie. That's a horror movie. Like, right. then, then it's like, oh, okay, so I'm in the shit. I, I occasionally look up and see the craziest motherfucker I've ever seen in my life. And I also love that. <laughs> and his that, basket and his cute dog. He's got a cute and dog. And his little though. dog. And I also love um, that, I can't remember the actress's name, but uh, Buffalo Bill and... Um, Catherine, uh, they dated during filming, and I always thought I was oh, like, no, that must have been wow. nuts. That must have been. I was like, so... the sex they must have been having would be. It so must have been intense. out of control. <laughs> out of fucking control. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, well I mean, you, listen, you have a point, and people have a point that 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 label it as thriller, but I've also noticed that that's been used so often to. I don't know, give shade or backhanded compliments to horror as a genre. And, no, that's interesting. And, yeah. and I also, you know, remember when it came out, you know, I was like 10 when it came out and I remember it was marketed and released as a horror movie. You know, mm-hmm. it was released early in the year. It wasn't, it wasn't an awards thing. And then it started getting pushed for award stuff. And I, I, as a kid, I remember reading, you know, uh, like headlines and shit just in my like local paper and shit where I could see the, the, the delineation. I could, I remember the, the point where it went from being this cool horror movie, you know, that's got, you know, done like on a triple a, you know, budget and great cast mm-hmm. and, you know, all that stuff. It went from being that to, Oh no, it's a psychological thriller now that it's getting mm-hmm. awarded. Oh, okay. I see, I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, 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 yeah. so like I, you know, that that's the reason I've had arguments with dear friends that have gone for hours over (laughs) over this um and i can concede the points of 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 where the focus is and how that makes it less of a horror movie just like in gerald's game if the focus wasn't on her dealing with her you know her trauma and being through her eyes if it was on you know the space cowboy or the you know moonlight man if it was like him doing his things and stumbling upon this lady Mm -hmm. it completely changes the genre um even though it's the same story so so i will concede that but yeah 
And I do think to your point that uh, horror movies should be nominated for Oscars. That's really yeah. the the sticking point. It's like th- no. this all wouldn't be an issue if they would actually nominate. And I was I always I said this recently, but on some other podcast, but it's like I will just watch Tony Collette's um, scene in Hereditary, <laughs> not the kid, not the dinner scene when she goes to uh, couples therapy. I'll just put that on while I'm working and listen to it. I love <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> you know. I think and take what that means about me, you know, who knows, but right. The dinner scene is like the showcase, obviously, but my favorite Tony Collette moment from uh, hereditary is when she's having the nightmare and she's telling her son that she never wanted to be his mother and the way she Mm -hmm. reacts where she says it and instantly like doesn't believe, can't believe that the words just left her mouth. She spoke what's been deep inside of her heart for, you know, ever since this kid was born and how shocked and ashamed she is. Like all that shows on her face and what, is essentially a scene that people could look at and go, oh, that could be cut out and we wouldn't miss anything from the movie, right? Yeah. But she turns that one little moment into, like, a better acting showcase than, like, Meryl Streep's had in 20 years. You know, it's like... Absolutely. Uh, yeah. No no shade to Meryl Streep. She's she's incredible. Everybody loves Meryl did, Streep. But, you know. Did you guys see Bo is Afraid? I did I've, not. I've seen half of it. Oh. Well, well, we we did it recently. And yeah. just because we love uh, Hereditary, obviously, is so we're like, right. we're going to see Ari Aster, uh, even if... It, you know, um, even if it's more of a surreal, um, right. you know, drama. But I, w- I did think it's funny because we looked it up and it's like so obvious to me, like both of these movies are about his own mother. And there was, I kept looking at it, there were all these reviews, including one at Vulture, where they're like, actually, he and his mother have a great relationship, and it's not that at all, they're both artists. And I was like, can we grow up for one yeah, second? Like, on. I'm fucking <laughs> sorry. You think that that isn't something his mother literally fucking said to him? Yeah. Now that's not to say, like, you can't later then develop a better relationship with a parent. But let's, right. let's not be so goofy. You yeah. literally have him in Bo is Afraid wa- be walked up into an attic, which is also a space and hereditary, and I'm supposed to believe this isn't true on some level to his life come on <laughs> yeah come on come on <laughs> allison did you see bo as a friend no we did it for the podcast so I oh, think, okay like, i'm sorry i think I we talked about it in a way where it's like it feels like a movie where i'm like i could have i think you could have but that. i don't know there are upsetting I'd, moments yeah, yeah I don't it's, know. it's intense i didn't and yeah. i and i say i saw half of it it's not that i didn't like it i i uh it's uh on a buddy of mine's plex and i i put it on one night and uh i was just just profoundly high and oh yeah it, no no this is not good I, for that no it was not good for that and um so i got like halfway into it and i realized like man i'm not even really absorbing this as much as i should be i'm gonna mm-hmm. have to come and come and finish this later but the the first half of that movie i thought was pretty intense you know there's some there is some scary shit in it like when yeah, he's in I, the bathtub yeah. and the guy's like up on the ceiling terrifying i think the first act is great and then the last act is really great and then there's a bunch of stuff in the middle that i'm like this is probably gonna have been trimmed down but <laughs> overall like again i think it's one of those things I, I mean maybe this is like i'm realizing as we're talking about this like i just i do understand movies in relation to other movies but again mm-hmm. like people were really trashing it and i was like i would rather watch this three hour long psychosexual surreal mess then watch strays like i give me something that at least feels like a human right. fucking being made it yeah, yeah. even right. if it's a mess and even if I, I don't get half of it like I, i'd rather that movies where a filmmaker is like you know clearly cashing in their chips yeah you know, yes. which which i asked her obviously did there it was just like yeah and the next one's gonna be three hours long and it's gonna mm-hmm. you know like and it will it, also it, be about my mother you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. um it's I love those movies. 
I, even when I don't particularly like them, I love that they exist because it's exactly like just pure unbridled. Like this is that guy's head just poured out on the screen. What do you think? You know, it's, exactly. Absolutely. I don't think he'll be making another one of those for a while. <laughs> yeah, well, I know it's like, you know, that they were probably like, oh, just do another horror movie. He's like, I will do this movie. And it's like, all right, <laughs> yeah. well, you, you did it. You sure did. Now you did it. Now Ari Aster has to reboot Nightmare on Elm Street. That's the his next project. Wait, is that true? No, no I just pulled it out. Of I was ass, like, but, bad. But I, was I like, would be I, so into it. Oh, hell you. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like, you know, that he at least just like interesting with it. Yes. <laughs> what is he doing? Does he have something coming up in the works? I don't know. What or I, I guess he could have just literally been uh, sent away. Wait, um, wasn't it a Western or something? I feel like I maybe, wow. I, heard, maybe weirdest... I heard about. I don't that's know cool. if that's true. I could be conflating him. With oh, here's else. a weird. This is a weird. I'm not going to use names because also I don't think I know this woman's name. But in a weird. Because I was. I, I Again, now that I'm queer, I'm like, is Ari Aster gay? I was trying to figure it out based online. And a co-worker says, uh, someone she knows like has like a co-worker who's like this just 23-year-old woman who lives in Brooklyn. And who's like, you know, I think Ari Aster and I would really get along. Like, I, I really want to try to meet him. I think we'd really get along. And the friend's like, I don't know how you would do that. Like, he's like a famous director. Literally a week before we did our recording, this person posted to her private stories that my coworker saw. She is now dating Ari Aster. Oh, right. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Because either that's great or really bad. Does that make sense? Or I'm like, yeah. either you really had a meeting of the minds or something is so fucked up that this could happen. <laughs> I hope it's the I hope it's the former. He seems like he needs a win, you know, based on um all these the films he's made so far. Yeah, nothing on his IMDB. Well I must be yeah, thinking he- of somebody else then. I would love yeah. to see a fucking Western from him. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, he's one of those people. Who's like, no matter what he wants to do, I'm interested. You know, I say this having not seen Bo's Afraid, but I will see it. It was just one of those things when it came out. It was like the excitement to see it, like kind of dwindled on some of the reviews, mm-hmm. and then like on top of that, all my friends like saw it at an early screening, and I wasn't here okay. for it, so I didn't have anybody to go see it with. And then it became one of those like. Do I really want to go to the theater for a three-hour movie that I might not like? You, it, it, you get in your head about that shit. I will watch it. I, you know, the dude made Hereditary, and yeah, uh, and I am there for anything that 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 he does uh, at a certain point. So, hundred one thing that I, I I feel like we haven't maybe dwelled on enough in this episode mm. is Carla Gugino's performance, mm. which Incredible. is fucking next level. Like, is there a yeah. better? Had she had a better performance in this movie? Mm. I submit to you that she is not. Question, and I feel like because uh, she was also in the Haunting of Hill House, mm-hmm. right? And clearly is now in Mike Flanagan's sort of oeuvre of uh, or not was like stable, stable of actors. Anyway, stable right. actors. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, I did, I did, I look at her. I, I did really enjoy True Beverly Hills. Um, I, mean. I don't know if it was really <laughs> for her. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I mean, Iconic. not that she wasn't good in Night at the Museum or Spy Kids or whatever, but like this was her like this showcased all of her skills yeah Yeah. and to be like you know so much of the movie is her by herself in a room and like to make that compelling and human and continually interesting is such a feat for an actress Mm -hmm. flanagan gets uh when people talk about this movie he he tends to take the bulk of the credit for the movie succeeding because he took what was uh, a super internal novel and, mm-hmm. you know, made it visual and and made that work. Um, and he definitely deserves a lot of credit, but it wouldn't have worked, period, were it not for 
he could have thrown all that at it, but if it was the wrong actress, it just like would not have right. Would not Absolutely. have played. I think she's phenomenal in it. Yeah. Um, oh, she was in Welcome Home, Rex- Roxy Carmichael, another '90s movie, but she she wasn't uh, <laughs> the lead was uh, Winona Ryder, who's also great. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And yeah, we this if this was a different actress, we would not be talking about this movie. <laughs> like this, it just wouldn't have been. It would have been like, oh, whatever, another half-hearted attempt at a uh, Stephen King movie. It didn't work, but we're moving on. Yeah, this she was excellent. And she was a yeah. la- last-minute addition too, which is oh, interesting, fucking oh. bonkers. Do you like, know who was supposed to originally play? Um, uh, I'm trying to look over here. I do, but um, well, Mike, <laughs> Mike is a, a friend of the show. He's been on a bunch of times. Oh, cool. we, we've nice. done live events with him and Kate, and you know, uh, also excellent in the movie. Yes, no. long, long time guest of the show. You know, um, and I feel like I think he he told us a story that I think he told Eric. You can cut all this if fucking he told us this off the air, but. Right. They had a different he had another actress lined up, but in a very bizarre turn of events, the copy of the script that had been sent to her was somebody else's draft from years prior of oh. a Gerald's game adaptation that apparently had more of a comedic tone, I think he said. Oh, and so the way I remember it was he had a few phone conversations with her where with this actress where they were talking about the character and it seemed like both of them were wondering what the fuck the other person was talking about. Oh, my God. Referring to two different scripts. And then they finally figured it out. And that actress pulled out because that was that's fascinating. She wanted to do. She wanted to play this funny. Yeah, that's tough. (laughs) Yeah, I've, I'd I guess. love to get a. I uh, well, I asked him. I was like, "Did you ever read that script?" He's like, "Fuck no, I didn't read that script." I'm like, "I, I read that script you couldn't have stopped me from reading that." I would, I, <laughs> well, yeah, you do want to know where they fit in the laughs. You want to yeah. know where where yeah. they where are the troubles? The <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we need to know. Yeah, so um, that's a live event. Get your hands on that script. Yeah, and I also <laughs> think uh, Bruce um, uh, Greenwood Green- was also Greenwood, like yeah. a late minute. Last minute edition, wasn't he? Yeah, Eric. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that seems to be that guy's mo because I think he also like was a last minute edition for Star Trek. Like it, it's. I don't know if that's uh, you know or reliable uh, Bruce. Yeah, you, you know if, if you if you're in a pinch and you need somebody's uh, help, you you uh, call call Bruce Greenwood. Yeah, he and, and he's job. great that's, too. Yeah, yeah. What a fun. Um, I mean, I'm sure for him it's frustrating to be you know called however many like whether it's second or fifth or whatever but like to right. know that your reputation is he will come in and knock it out of the park as a working actor i'm sure you're like okay good as long as everyone knows you can just call me i'll show up and like right do a great job <laughs> right yeah no and i to to the point uh that y'all are making like flanagan's adaptation goes so far like he, he cracked the story cracked doing it visually but if he if carlo gugino didn't didn't uh come to play then it doesn't matter um Mm -hmm. and and i think scott's right i i you know i'm struggling to she's been great in everything she's done for what has been you know what has been asked of her as an actor but like in in this one it's like she gets to play everything and Mm -hmm. play everything to herself so she'll get to play the 
the the the weakness of a character mm-hmm. uh, and the strength in the same scene you know uh, you know to each each other you know it's like it, it's such a you know a wonderful showcase of of her uh range and her ability to uh i don't know to to be just as badass as the strong version of jesse as the you know she is the the weak and helpless version right like she just Absolutely, brings everything yeah, yeah. yeah. And it looks, you know, like we said about like horror in general, like this is a beautiful, it's a beautifully shot movie. Like I, I appreciate the cinematography, like sort of when you see the red sun, you understand like sort of we're entering back into her memories. Um, but also again, it's mostly just one person in a cabin. So it, it's like making a meal out of something. I don't know what the budget was, but you know, that's one of the many excellent things about horror. Uh, you know, we, we did a movie called um, What Keeps You Alive. Do you see that one? Mm, I don't think so. Um, It's from 2018. It's a Canadian um, horror and it's a lesbian couple at a cabin. So it's just the the, the two people the whole time. Again, what you can do with one person in a cabin, like it's like an uh, endless uh, imagination, endless of creativity. And this is like, it's just her. And then Bruce Greenwood as his own ghost and and dynamite. Well, and Bruce Greenwood playing, Gerald as she sees him or mm-hmm. thinks he would be saying, which is a whole nother layer of all right. the projections of the people that she's seeing in the, the, the room is that it's not them. It's her conception of them of what they would say. So it's not like she's being haunted by her dead husband. She's mm-hmm. just projecting what she thinks he would say in this moment or using him as a means to lead her, her, her own self to her subconscious and to figure mm-hmm. out, that you need to challenge this and, you know, kind of, you know, fight in the situation and whatever, but it's always her speaking through him in, in, in a way, which is, you know, yet another layer that he fucking kills and that, you know, she kills the, the whole thing is like, you know, it's, it's a movie that, that I, I really, really, really liked and was surprised how much I liked it when I saw mm-hmm. it. And like the more that I've lived with it and the more that I've had to revisit it for the show, the more it's just like, this is actually a really outstanding adaptation and an outstanding, you know, movie period. And everybody just brings it. So yeah, good job, absolutely Mike. agree. He did it. Yeah. <laughs> did it well, do we have anything else we want to talk about in relation to Gerald's game? Got to talk about that dog. No, it's oh my God. <laughs> the dog. I mean, yeah, the one part of the movie where it's like, well, you really need to leave the front door open like that. Come on now. Maybe it was the back door, a sliding right. patio door left ajar. Mm. But that was the one thing I'm like, eh, I don't yeah. know about that. We're all pretty know, good but, uh, doors, t- huh? I, I, I agree with you. But also, like, while I've been living up here in Idaho, um, the friend I'm living with leaves her doors open all the time. Whoa. Like we're out in the middle of kind of nowhere, but it's still like a neighborhood. <laughs> you know, there are people, but she has like screen doors, but the doors will be open and like, let's air through the house and stuff. Wow. And then the back door is always left open for the dogs to go in and out, even though there's also a doggy door. Um, and it's, it's, crazy. Wanna... it's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't, you know, but I mean, clearly they've been doing it for years and years. You know, I'm not going to come yeah. in here and be like, what are you people doing? You're crazy. Like, you know, if there oh, were yeah. a problem, you'd know about it by now. But it's wild <laughs> to me that they do that. They also sleep uh, with their doors open in this house. My would... my family growing up, because we were we, we grew up, I grew up in like a small town in like rural northeast Ohio. I can't remember which one it was, but my parents would leave the doors unlocked. Like, basically, if someone was home, just all the doors were unlocked. 
because like they, they had three kids. So it was like, whatever. And the idea is like, oh, you only lock the doors when you're leaving in case somebody comes in. And it's just sort of like living in LA or living in New York. It's like, I'm not going to like just leave my door open. <laughs> I'm here. If anything, I'd leave it unlocked. Or they could take my stuff, but it's like, yeah. The only thing I care about, the stuff I care about is me, you know? But yeah, living in the middle of nowhere, it's just like, yeah, I guess if somebody's going to come, they just break a window and murder us. Uh, so the door is, the door is the idea of safety when in reality, it, we are safe. Like this is, you know, most of us are not going to be visited by the Moonlight Man. <laughs> well, there's most a surprise element. If they're breaking a window, then that gives you a little bit of heads up that something's going on. Where if you just leave the door open, you could be, you know, cooking and turn around and the Moonlight Man staring at you. Like you don't, you know, Listen. it takes the the stealth out of it. You know, mm, true. I mean, and you know, and God willing, that won't happen to any of us this summer. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yeah, wait till the I don't fall. Know. I've been please. pretty bored. They would at least liven things up. You know, if I got <laughs> a little fist, little just fist man fighting in my life. Moonlight Man. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, why not stealing? Who doesn't his want jewels? somebody to watch over them peacefully as they sleep? You know, <laughs> and maybe borrow some jewelry. But That's you'd have to you'd thing. have to be the uh, moonlight woman. It'd have to be a lesbian. So we'd have to find a, a lesbian uh, necrophilic serial killer to send to your house, <laughs> right? So if anyone's listening, let us know. We're taking applications. <laughs> the offer's already out to Tilda Swinton. You know, she'll crush it, so. Oh God, she'd be phenomenal. She's already amazing in it. <laughs> She's already outside your house. Yeah. <laughs> well, um. Thank you so much for for joining us for this conversation. Um, Thank you. This, this is, is so, so fun. fun. Yeah. Uh, where let's tell the people where they can find you, your show, what what maybe what uh, whatever titles you've got coming up. Anything anything you want to um, promo? Well, you can follow Ruined on Twitter for some. I'm sorry, on X um, and <laughs> um, and Instagram at Ruined Podcast. We come out every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. Like that works for us. Um, and we do kind of like a live show online every month. That's always very fun that we sell tickets to, or you could join our Patreon, which thanks to our Patreon, um, we are going to the Lizzie Borden house to record episodes and make a bunch of videos of us being there. So that's kind and of I'm like, hoping Allison will be decapitated during our trip. So I'm looking so forward to <laughs> fingers crossed. We need to um, get on in on this action, Scott. We need to start recording episodes like where Stand By Me was shot and do a, ooh, that's ooh, fun. And, yeah, we're gonna do get like a fango to pay for, for those plane tickets. No, that's what you were saying. Like do do like a little uh Patreon fundraiser or something. Get them to yeah, if you pay, there's like a certain tier where you get to pay to put a leech down your pants. That's stand by me, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Well, I, I do um, yeah, that every every Sunday leech. night. Anyway, yeah, so that's just a matter keep, of course. Got to let the blood keep out. Keep it you fresh. Know? Oh, you got to let the blood out. But yeah, um, <laughs> you can follow me at Hallie Kiefer on Twitter. All right, I mean, is Twitter even going to exist when this comes no. out? I don't know, but at, at, on Twitter and Instagram. I don't know. I've been having a really hard time even going on social media recently. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah. what are we all fucking doing? But I do post occasionally. So please uh, stop on by. And um, yeah, if you're just in or you get your our podcast, obviously, wherever you listen to your podcast and then the Patreon, um, we have a huge back catalog of Patreon only episodes that you yeah. are, you know, waiting for you to listen to. Yes. Nice. Well, I think you guys have a terrific show and I recommend thank it you. to all oh, of our you. listeners. Oh, thank um, you so much. And thank you for having us. This yes. is wonderful. Of course. Of course. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll uh, we'll cross paths again in the future. Yeah. Hell yeah. 
Many thanks to Allison and Hallie for joining us. Uh, I was very uh, surprised is not the the right term because I knew that these mm-hmm. ladies were were uh, smart and funny. Uh, yes, but I was very happy that they brought their a game to this uh, to the show. It was such a fun conversation, and I w- and what I can say I was surprised by is when we announced that they were coming on. Like people were like super excited about about this. I I, uh, I noticed that. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, I kind of forget sometimes that people are fans of other podcasts out there. <laughs> I know maybe it's that's a, that's a, 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 a me being too egotistical thing, but it's just like, uh, well, you know, well, sometimes people only bubble. pick one podcast and they stick with it. But that is not true. Most people listen to a bunch. It turns yeah, out we share I, a lot of listeners in common. So I like doing the, the podcast crossover episodes. Typically, I think everyone that we've uh, done a little crossover episode with, they know their shit. Yeah, uh, they know how to they know how to do a show, you know, <laughs> so there's no there's not a lot of dead air. The ball stays in the air the entire time. It's right. Uh, you know, a delightful conversation. We were very happy to to get them on and um, probably going to have them back. At some yeah, point. no, I'd lo- love to have them back. And the I can tell you from a tech perspective, I love when podcasters come on the show because I can guarantee I know they have their own mics and they're going to come in and it's not going to be a nightmare yeah. trying to. Trying for me pulling my hair out, going, "Oh my god!" You know, is, is the audio quality not going to be great if it's just through the computer and blah 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 blah? Mm-hmm. The audience doesn't give a shit about that, but I do, so it's always a really nice, uh, nice thing for me. Um, yes. So uh, we talked about Gerald's game and Mike Flanagan a lot, which is uh, maybe a little bit of setup for next week's episode. Do you want to lay it on the people? Yes. Tell yeah. you straight up, folks, we got Mike Flanagan coming back to the Kingcast stage. It's been a while. Usually Flanagan's more of like a uh, every six months type of guy or every uh, four months even. Maybe a, a once a, well, I guess that's not a quarter. That would be every three months. Look, it doesn't matter. Mike is usually on the show more often, but he has been a very busy little boy lately. And um, well, as you can imagine, we have a lot of questions for him. We have questions about what's going on with uh, the Dark Tower and Life of Chuck and usher and everything else that he's working on rest assured that we will be talking to him about that next week but mostly what we're going to be talking about is dolores claiborne a title that we have never covered on this show before incredibly uh i thought that one would get snapped up somewhere along the line but uh took mike to come in and break the streak so he comes in it's basically a love fest we all love dolores claiborne so uh we you know, go through that thing top to bottom and uh, just uh, proselytize about it. Right. Well, it's really fascinating getting Mike in specifically to talk about this since, you know, Gerald's game, which he made and adapted was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, essentially a, a, a sister novel to yes. Dolores Claiborne. You know, they're they're not exactly sequels, but they're they're parallel stories that that, they're that siblings. Happen. Yeah, they're siblings. It was super appropriate. It's a banger episode. You know, Mike is uh, great as usual, and I can't wait for everybody to hear it next week. But if you don't want to wait a whole week to hear our voices, then you know what? You need to sign up for our Patreon, babies, because we got a new Patreon bonus episode this Friday, as usual. Um, This week, we are going to be doing a mailbag answering listener questions. If you have sent in questions, I have noted them. Uh, And if you haven't sent them in yet, uh, do so at thekingcast19 at gmail.com. You can do it uh, in the next 12 hours or so. You stand a shot of getting them answered for the bonus episode. Uh, I always like these. Uh, You know, it's a way to kind of interact with the audience and and, uh, 
hear what their burning questions are and answering to the best of our abilities. So uh, we shall be doing that this Friday. And if you want to listen to that, all you got to do is head on over to patreon.com slash the KingCast and sign up. We put out a call for questions last week. I haven't I haven't looked in the inbox in some time is uh did the did the people turn out? We got plenty to work with over there. We we got we got some good questions. We could always use some more. Uh we are missing Renee Brunker again. She is very well known for sending in her rapid fire uh round that we usually close out with, which is like a whole bunch of mini questions that we just go, you know, knock out one after another. Uh so yes. Renee, get on that shit and uh Everybody else, if you got a burning question about the show, about King, about King stuff, about horror in general, about Scott or I's notorious, nefarious past, uh, feel free to uh, send along. Right on. Well, uh, look forward to that, folks. We will uh, we will talk to you again next week. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. <laughs>